Remember when we told you that a red wave was coming? Well, we missed on that. We, we missed on the red tide. We got a red ripple. We'll analyze why that happened. I feel like it was probably more like a red drip, kind of like a bad sink in the house. Slow drip. Slow drip. And then, of course, South Carolina was consumed by a red wave. We'll talk about all of it today on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Welcome into the show. Glad you're with us. Justin Hall, Dave Wilson here with you on a Friday. If you missed our interview with Senator Josh Kimball that was produced yesterday, go back and take a look at that. Dive into a little bit of what happened with H5399. Uh, so we had that yesterday. So today we're talking election and election results. We've had a couple of days. Again, I, I Dave, I work in sports on the weekends. And so when you, ho- when you host a post-game show, emotions are high. Things are said that probably aren't so much based in reality as they are in emotion. Right. And what ends up happening is you need a couple of days to unwind, rest, touch some grass, and um, like avoid the emotion. And then Monday, you call into your sports talk shows. You've got to have time for all this stuff to digest. I yeah. mean, it's kind of like you don't you don't consume a big lunch and then jump in the swimming pool. You just don't do that. It's right. The whole idea that we have to. Take a moment, step back, look, evaluate, and see exactly how, what actually went on. Because good grief, if you take a look right now, as of the time of this recording, we still don't know where some races are nationally. Thankfully, in South Carolina, all of the votes are in, all of the votes have been counted, everything's done. Unlike Arizona, which still has like 70% of votes that may or may not have been counted yet or not. Um, this is a place where I will give it to Florida. The hanging chads of the 2000 election really made them take a look at how they handle voting. By 9.30 election night, they had already called the race and like 98% of the votes were in. Yeah. They know how to do things down there. They do. And and that is a great lesson to be learned all across the U.S. But I think purposefully, there are some places who like this stuff to drag out for just a little bit longer. Well, what's interesting is you have... People who work in the work in the Democratic Party who are saying now that the Democrats will hold the House with 220 seats. Uh, I don't know how that's going to happen, but like, how in the world? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's somebody trying to get everybody jazzed up on on Twitter. But just looking at the numbers right now before we dive into that would be phenomenal if they were to do that. I'm talking like crazy. It'd be 35 seat pickup here in the late hours. There are 42 House seats left in play. Republicans currently lead at 208 to 185. We have a 49-48 Republican advantage in the Senate for now. Obviously, I, 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 I'm thinking more and more that the Senate will remain a 50-50 split. Which uh, is not beneficial for conservative causes in America because the 50-50 split then leaves the responsibility of the tie-breaking vote to Kamala, Kamala, whatever her name is, as vice president. On the yellow school. Have you heard much from her? Post election time, we heard from is the she president. Is she a little yellow school bus or something? I don't know. We heard from the president. Anyway, what the president was asked, you know, based on the election results, are you going to change uh, the priorities of, of your governing strategy? Uh, what are you going to change in light of this needing to probably work with House yes. leadership that's Republican? Nothing. Nothing was his nothing. answer. Quote nothing. Period. End quote. 
Um, Did he set? Was that on his prompter as well? No, he didn't say end quote. End oh, of quote. Okay. End of line. Repeat end the of line. line. Repeat the line. End of quote. Repeat the line. Let's go to South Carolina first before I dive too far into the national picture because I have some things to say, and it's probably going to upset half of the people watching or listening, and that's okay. South Carolina, Governor McMaster wins another term as governor. By the end of his second term, should he serve the, the full length of his term, he will have been governor for 10 years uh, over the state of South Carolina. Obviously, his main political ambition is to be governor of the state of South Carolina. He has achieved that now in two elections. Uh, having listened to his acceptance speech in person on Tuesday night, he was very happy, happy, happy. And uh, he is looking forward to another four-year term. What it does say, uh, in my opinion, 5840, 5841, you're talking, I'm going to use slang that my my grandparents used, you know, right? So you do something wrong at my grandparents' house, you were in for a butt cutting. Joe Cunningham took a butt cutting yes, on Tuesday night. Yes, he did. A full, a full. We don't want you here by South Carolina voters. Right, and and it was very, it was honestly, it was very hard to watch his concession speech. One because it, it kept going long. on. It was twenty five minutes stump speech. <laughs> uh, I really felt like Joe. I feel so bad because Joe, you just walk away, move on. It's, it's time to be done. I don't want to go anywhere. Well, and and because I think reality for Joe. Cunningham was, I think he really does believe in these things. I think there was a passion for him there, but but the messaging, yet again, did not cut through for the voters in South Carolina. When when your your whole slate of ideas are let's legalize abortion, just like California, let's turn around and legalize marijuana, just like Colorado, let us turn around and and, and have sports betting like's going on all across America. And, oh yeah, by the way, I think we ought to have age limits on people who are running for office, thereby alienating one-third of the voting populace. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, the one-third of the voting populace that actually shows up on a regular basis was a combination that just did not work. It, he, it did not echo well within the thought ideas of the average South Carolina voter. As a matter of fact, on Tuesday night when I was doing election night coverage on WLTX, I was with uh, Jim Felder, great guy, mm-hmm. uh, great African-American, a man of history. If you ever do a, a search for Jim Felder, he was one of the guys who carried Kennedy's casket, right. um, uh, but has a lot of great understanding. And I, I asked him on the air, I said, do you think that they went too far on the issue of like abortion? He went, oh, yeah. They miscalculated. And certainly in South Carolina. They calculated well in other states. In other states, it was a completely different story. But in South Carolina, Joe Cunningham's message fell flat. Because honestly, as we talked about in a previous podcast, it wasn't necessarily that I think that Henry McMaster ran on incumbency alone. But a lot of it was, you should be happy with what we've done over the last six years. Henry McMaster is a is an old school Republican. The economy is going to drive the vote, and right. it did and it did this it time did. because South Carolinians are still affected by by national inflation. There's, we're not immune to it here by any stretch of the imagination, but South Carolina is in a better spot now because of some of the economic policies that have been put in place, including a state income tax cut and other things. He's worked with the legislature to get done. Working with the legislature to get things done. How? 
How interesting what a that, a governor, that a governor would do that. But Governor McMaster taking Joe Cunningham behind the woodshed, so much so that Fox News called the race at 704, uh, which tell, wait, wait, the AP waited. That, the that AP was, that was, oh, that was three minutes after they called the, the Tim Scott race. Yeah, I, Tim, they Scott, Tim Scott at what, like 701? Tim Scott. They had to wait till at least the polls had closed Tim before Scott they called beat it. Crystal Matthews quicker than uh, Charlie Crisp beat Nikki Freed. Um, and quicker, actually, than Ron DeSantis beat Charlie Crisp. Uh, Tim Scott did win that basically 63 to 37, not even close. Crystal Matthews not only lost her Senate campaign, she lost her South Carolina House campaign as well. That debt money didn't that, show up, did it? No, it did not. I didn't think that so. That in a, in, in a House races that saw an, eight, uh, an 88 seat now Republican majority inside the South Carolina House as they had a little bit of a red wave come through the South Carolina House with a bunch of House seat pickups outside of, and that's with losing Kirkman Finley's seat to Heather Bauer, where she ran completely on the issue of abortion, and we saw that cut her way over Kirkman Finley, which it, was a bit unexpected. Uh, partially. But, but you, you saw the push. You saw the push. But the, the other part of it, too, was this, is is Kirkman Finley's seat. It is in the eastern side of the city of Columbia. Right down here. Right down the street uh, from where our studio is. And when you look at the, the voting populace there, they are, if they are Republicans, they are economic Republicans. They are not social, cultural Republicans. Abortion issue in that area of that particular district uh, falls very much in line with what we see on some other places along the national scheme, which was the fact that abortion really got hit on the national level. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Let's finish what we've got on the state level. Mark Hammond, Curtis Loftus, Hugh Weathers, Alan Wilson, Wait, Richard Ekstrom, all... That's like Every constitutional officer in South Carolina? Including? Including Ellen Weaver. Including Superintendent of Education Ellen Weaver. Ellen Weaver takes care of Lisa Ellis on the ballot again. Lisa appeared twice. Last time you'll see a fusion candidate on a ballot in South Carolina. That did get changed with the the change Correct. that we had in the election law this past year. 42.7 to 55.8 was the final tally there. I think the interesting I thing to take up. I think the thing to take away from that is when you take a look at how many people voted for Henry McMaster, just mm -hmm. over 985,000, almost 987,000 people, um, compared to Ellen's, which was 934, there were about 50,000 people who voted for Henry McMaster who did not vote for Ellen Weaver. Now, some people some people don't vote down ballot. They go in there, I'm going to vote for governor, and I'm done. And, and okay, you, you can do that. Very often, some people just don't go down the rest of the ballot. You can look at the numbers and see how those play themselves out. But there are about 50,000 people who voted for the governor, didn't vote for Ellen Weaver. A couple of different scenarios there. You mentioned voting for governor, not voting down ballot. I would also say that there were uh, Republican teachers who decided to vote for a Democrat. Are you really trying to make your Thanksgiving meal just that say, difficult? No, I'm just, no, it's a real thing, it, though. Republican teachers voting for a Democrat to run, that running for superintendent of education for a litany of issues, one of which probably being that she said she'd pay you more. Well, I think the other part of it, too, is there is this misnomer that says that Republicans do not know how to run education. That education yes, that's is... also... Yeah. They, there are a lot of people, and, and I have seen this some places in my own family, where... I've got to vote for the Democrat because the Democrat has a better understanding on education. And and I don't necessarily know how that has come into being the mantra that we somehow believe in, but Ellen Weaver, who some folks on television were very quick to point out has never spent time in a classroom, 
also is going up against Lisa Ellis, who has really no experience in administration or working through bureaucracy, which that is what the job of the superintendent of education is, which is to run a thousand person uh, staff, as well as working with the General Assembly to get things done. I think you know, Ellen has done a good job of, of pointing out those things, uh, did complete ahead of time what she needed to do to get the, for some reason, required master's because yeah, that was so added in. But we now see an entire sweep of the constitutional officers in South Carolina, a plus eight, no, plus six. Yes. Pick up for the South Carolina House going to 88 seats now. So welcome to election 2024 now because that's where all attention is going to start focusing. This Certainly point inside the South Carolina Senate. Really quickly, both constitutional amendments on the ballot were passed uh, to yet, uh, both, both to uh, increase the rainy day fund in South increase Carolina. Increase how much money we're going to put in the savings account so that when all of a sudden the economy crashes or something goes wrong, like it has. there's okay, exactly, we'll be able to see exactly how much money or we'll be able to put a little bit more money away so the state does not turn around and have to cut services that need to be provided right. in order to be able to keep government running. That's kind of an important thing. It's kind of a biblical concept of stewardship. Stewardship. Important for government to work. There you go. Uh, we, we had uh, congressional seats available as well last night, obviously with every House seat being on the ballot. Nancy Mace takes care of Dr. Annie Andrews in the first. She wins going away. Joe Wilson wins going away. Jeff Duncan and William Timmons were unopposed, so of course they win going away. Ralph Norman in the fifth wins going away. Russell Fry in the seventh wins going away. If you don't understand what I'm saying, it means they pulled ahead and just didn't stop. Right. Uh, they, they took care of business last night or on Tuesday night. And in the sixth, uh, Jim Clyburn wins another term um, in the House. Not really shocking no, considering not. his district. Um, that's his district. He ain't going anywhere no, anytime and, soon. Well, and it's honestly, to, to be straight up, it is a district that is designed to ensure that there is African-American representation in Congress in South Carolina. It's part of the way that the district lines get drawn. And if you take a look at the map of the 6th Congressional District, it stretches all the way from northeast Richland County all the way down through Orangeburg, Calhoun County, Jasper, Barnwell, all the way down to Beaufort to the Battery in Charleston. That's an interesting district. It is a very interesting district. I don't know geographically what they all have in common. So really quickly, I want to get to this before we get to the uh, national storylines, which I'm fired up about, but I'm also fired up about this. We get on to you about not voting in the primary, so I want to give you kudos and credit. Almost 51% of you voted. Uh, voter turnout was about 51%. So uh, one out of every two registered voters voted. As opposed to one out of every six. Correct. So that means that three times as many people voted in the actual general election yeah. as did voted in the primary. Thank you for actually taking the time to show up. Yeah, th this vote. is this is a lower turnout than last uh, than last election in 2018. I'm not counting presidential years. Presidential years are a little different. But in 2018 in these midterms where we actually elect governors in 2018 we saw about 54% turnout. Again, Henry was running in his first full race at, for governor after serving 2 years against James Smith, the more uh, an eminently more qualified challenger than Joe Cunningham was. Because James Smith, I, you know, not only had been serving in the legislature for 20 years, had that a level of experience, but was also pulling into a base. And he and, and, uh, Mandy, and Powers. Mandy Powers Norrell had a pretty, they, they gave a pretty good run against yeah, Governor got, McMaster and Lieutenant Governor Evans. Was that a five or six point 
was it was, it was a closer race? it was a closer race than than this by far because this is the largest win that a governor has had in modern history in South Carolina. This Which level tells you of, a lot. Yeah. So House picks up seats. Uh, Republicans pick up seats in the House. The Senate obviously stands pat. No elections in the Senate. That will happen in 2024 along with the presidential race. So I know what you're thinking. Man, Republicans are going to get a lot done in the legislature. They can pass whatever they want. Let me tell you something about passing whatever you want. Just real quick. I just want to... Just want to. In case you haven't felt it in other things this week. Just look at them. They won't get anything done if people don't do their job. And if people don't actually vote and compromise on things to move the ball down the field. If you listen to our conversation with Senator Josh Kimball yesterday... We talked about the fact that H-5399 is dead. and This is the uh, Human Life Protection Act yeah. that we've spent a good portion of... The entire summer. ...working on, and it got to yesterday, and it was a really hard hit. I mean, personally, I mean, it was a really hard hit. Um, and I think when you start taking a look at this, it, it really makes you begin to wonder, how in the world can we turn around and see a, a group of Republicans who can't come together and find a level of compromise. It, 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 it's, it's shocking, truthfully, shocking, that in South Carolina, we've spent four months, five months, dealing with this issue since June. I mean, since the Dobbs decision, and really before that, because we got the leak, right? We got the draft leak. Right. So you've been dealing with this since May, late May, and I don't know. I just think that with a Republican supermajority in the House and a majority in the Senate, Democrats can't derail anything. But Democrats did derail some stuff, and that was the interesting part of all this, because they recognized that they could take a wedge and split the Republicans, and that's, that's the a, point. That's exactly what we saw happen. Don't let the wedge the split you. Law. Right. Don't let the wedge split you. So, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, here's here's my opinion on governance. I believe that abortion should be banned from the moment of conception because life begins at conception and, the abor- and an abortion is the taking of, a, of, a, of another person's life. Absolutely. So that is good policy. Right. The politics of this in the Senate, the votes weren't there for that. The votes were there for a few things. One, make some, some fixes to the heartbeat law yep. that the Supreme Court has said there are issues with. There were some places where they wanted to add some things like exceptions for fetal anomaly. Yes. There were some exceptions that needed they wanted to have that defined better within code what how you define rape and what the consequences of that are and how do you determine and, and do reporting on that those sorts of things. Yes. But for some reason, we can't get it all together and be able to pull it off this year. Just just for some reason. And I, I, I it it should there are a couple different reasons. And simply put, it's stunning that we spend almost seven months, six months on this. And we walk away with nothing. Nothing. Zip. Zero. Nada. Nothing. Nothing, nothing at Dave. all. And, that, nothing. And, and, and there was a portion of the discussion when the Senate, when the Senate was, was arguing this where we actually had Senator Luke Rankin float out there. Maybe we should put this as a constitutional amendment in South Carolina, you know, put it up to the people. I'm like, 
Honestly, after the national election numbers have come back in five states across America, this was put on the ballot. The abortion question, the constitutionality in states of abortion was put on the ballot in five states. Every single one of those lost on the pro-life side. That's disheartening. <laughs> it is very disheartening when you recognize a few things. One, I think there is a cultural mantra that is still there. It's kind of like, you know, I've, I've talked about this before. I have a group of students in a government class that I teach. I walk in on day one, write a check for a thousand bucks. If you can find the constitutional separation of church and state, I'll sign the check over to you immediately. I love watching kids start thumbing through their books immediately. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Because it's not there. But so many times, how many times, folks, have you heard this phrase, well, there's a constitutional separation of church and state? How many times, Justin, have we heard, it's my body, my choice? Or well it's a woman's right to choose? You know, these are the phrases that are still stuck in the minds of people instead of the phrase of abortion is unthinkable. I've said this before, and my great grandmother was born in 1904. Plessy versus Ferguson was the Supreme Court's law of the land of separate but equal being the norm in America. In 1982, she couldn't understand how blacks and whites could live in the same neighborhood and eat on the east side of Greenville, South Carolina, where I grew up, and think that it was a safe neighborhood. And I had to sit there and say to my great-grandmother, Mama, these are really good people. And it wasn't until just a few years before she died that she began to recognize the fact that, you know what? Separate but equal was a wrong thing. Because she had grown up in an era where separate but equal until 1959 and the Brown versus Board of Education decision shifted and said separate but equal is unacceptable in America. Mm -hmm. But it took nearly 25 years for the mentality and the heart to say, you know what? Separate but equal is unthinkable. I think we're a little bit ahead of our skis, so to speak, on this issue because... As many of us, if you're watching this, you are probably pro-life. You are probably sitting here going, hey, listen, we need to do all we can to protect life. And you may be asking yourself the question as you sit here and you see the headlines coming across the news of the South Carolina's pro-life law gets uh, shot down in the South Carolina Senate yesterday. The, the bills could not be reached a compromise between House and Senate leadership or House and Senate conference committee members. And you may be asking yourself why. I've gotten texts from folks today asking that question. You probably have too. How in the world did this happen? And this is a place where, again, to your point, Justin, that's great policy. The politics of it is sometimes you don't have the votes to be able to get it to, to, to pass exactly the way you want it. So in order to move forward, we have to say, we're going to have to take a step forward and another step forward. It's almost as if June 24th, when the Dobbs decision came down and overruled Roe versus Wade, we took the, the mentality of, okay, we're going to take incremental steps and threw it out and said, wait a minute, we've got a wide open field. Let's dash for everything that we possibly can where hearts and minds have not really been changed. Right. And the numbers show it because if you take a look at voter turnout nationwide, polling that was done afterwards, Married males voted Republican by more than 20 points. 
Married women voted with Republicans, 14 plus. Unmarried men voted Republican, seven plus. Unmarried women voted Democrat, plus 37. People under the age of 28 voted Democrat in high, high double digit numbers. The, the voter turnout for Joe Cunningham, the highest, some of the higher voter turnout for him were in people under the age of 35. So when you look at this, this is a place where we go back to this same question. How in the world do you change hearts and minds to one, make abortion unthinkable? Because Planned Parenthood has, has done a phenomenal job of trying to make you believe that bodily autonomy is a much stronger message than the right to actually be able to be alive. Mm -hmm. And that's where things are today. And I think not only did we see that yesterday when the Senate did not vote on the compromise bill, when the compromise com the, the conference committee did not meet again to rework a piece of legislation right. where they could have, they could have all, if it was important, you could have stuck around. But if there's no place for compromise, no place to say, okay, what can we win today? What can we do today to move the ball forward? Then we're, if we're going to just take incrementalism, if we're going to take another step forward and throw it out the, the window, that is a leap too far in the populace of America at the moment, at this moment, to be able to do that. That's just reality. Don't sacrifice the 80 for the 20, in my opinion. I'll, I'll stick with that. Let's move to the national front. And again, there was a lot of talk about a red wave coming in, in 2022. And let's just set the table. Again, you have a president who is historically bad in terms of approval rating. Was Joe Biden on election day, the day before? What was it, 39%? 39%. 39 39% approval. His vice president's even lower. Inflation's soaring. Gas prices are high. You have a, a, a war in Europe that we're continuing to fund. That you have I'm trying to outline all the problems. You have a southern border that is wide open. You have fentanyl pouring in at massive rates, um, infiltrating neighborhoods. I think I think the, I think the data is there, folks. Call me crazy, but the data is there on that. Uh, you had a terrible withdrawal in Afghanistan. Everything sets up for Republicans to absolutely waltz Democrats right. in 2022. And yet here we sit on Thursday, November the 10th, at the time of this recording, in the year of our Lord, 2022. Republicans have yet to claim a majority in the House. We expect that to happen. Right. But it hasn't happened yet. And you need to win two out of three Senate races right, to get a majority in the Senate. you got to win a combination of Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. Good luck. So, not a red wave, not a red tide, red ripple, red trickle, red drip. Here's the problem. And this is, I think this is where, Dave, I'm going to affront people. You know what? We're on a podcast. Full disclosure, voted for 45 and 16 and 20. Mm -hmm. 
Record low unemployment. Peace in the Middle East. Abraham Accords. Shows of strength in Syria and in taking out terrorist leaders and neutralizing North Korea for a while. They really didn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, southern border closed up. Record economic growth even amidst... In the middle of the pandemic, people were asked, is your life better than it was four years ago? And 53% of people surveyed during the pandemic, height of it in 2020, said yes. Since Election Day 2020, Republicans lost both Senate seats in Georgia. Partially because they were told their votes... Didn't matter. Didn't matter, and it didn't count. And then every, nearly every single candidate endorsed by the former president underperformed. They might have won, but they underperformed. Lauren Boebert is at risk of not going back to the House. Like, what? So let me just make one thing abundantly clear. We can either continue with this where you see the problem, Americans saw the issues and said, you know what? Nope. Nope, I'll stick with it. Now, at some point, Republicans have to understand the game here. And that comes down to who's leading your party. Do... We were asked, we're going to be tired of winning. I haven't really, won since 16. I don't really feel... I didn't I didn't feel a big win in 2020. I don't feel a big... I, I well, It's a big w- loss in I 2020. In, I, you know, I, we went in on Monday thinking there is a chance to flip, you know, 15, 20, up to 30 seats in the, in the U.S. House. Flip at least three, three, four. Maybe five. Maybe five seats, maybe, in the U.S. Senate. And when you look at the way the numbers are spelling themselves out right now, again, we don't know where certain things are on certain races because as of the time of this recording, all the votes still aren't counted in Arizona. That's, I have issues with that. We're in a first world country. It shouldn't take 13 It really days to shouldn't count take votes. that many days. But, you know, that's, that's what we're seeing right now when it comes to that. Because as of right now, they have 70% of their votes counted um, in Arizona. That's ridiculous. It's 2022. Asinine is what it is. But I I think the other side of this is people are wanting to have strong leadership, but strong leadership has got to be backed by, by recognizing a value point, and that is this. The leader of the party empowers the people beneath him or her. The strongest leaders are the ones who empower the folks that are beneath them because those folks beneath them end up bolstering from where they are and they bolster the folks beneath them. When the president of the United States or the former president of the United States wants to continue to make it about him and not about the strength that we see and empowering people, not only say, hey, listen, I'm going to endorse, but I'm going to put my money behind it as well. He put his money behind it. But then Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell spent literally $200 million more than he did after the primaries in the Senate, Senate races. So, 
And, 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 and let's it, just it, be frank. Well, here's the thing that gets me with that. If you spend a quarter, almost a quarter of a billion dollars. Maybe you should win races. That, that would be really important to be able to turn off and pull out a win. Because Repo- okay, Democrats spent $200 million on Stacey Abrams, Charlie Crist, and Beto O'Rourke. Yep. Not a single one of them did anything other than what they always do, lose. My point is, and and I'm I'm not a I'm you know you've got the monikers. I'm not a never Trumper. Right. I'm not. I voted for the guy twice, and his policies are great. His policies were really good for the country. Right. But there's not leadership at the top of the party right now. I mean, yes, we have party leadership, and obviously what Drew McKissick and Hope yeah. Walker do here in in the states phenomenal. I mean, you look at this, look at the record of South Carolina over the past ten years, and you and you see competent Republican conservative leadership. The problem is nationally you have a former president who claims to be the leader of the party and yet and yet in 2018 Ron DeSantis won Florida by 0.4% 30,000 votes. Remember his opponent was found, passed out in a hotel room Uh, with a bunch of men? He Uh, won that race by 30,000. Really kind of close. 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 He ran again in 2022, and he won by one million votes. He, one million. He changed the hearts and minds of 980,000 people. He picked up wins in areas of Florida. West Palm Beach and Miami Dade. Yeah, those those are not Republican districts. Those are not Republican counties, so to speak. I he mean, won 62 of 66 counties. Right. So... I'm just, I'm just pointing out, since COVID started to now, who's the most popular Republican governor in the country? It's DeSantis. It's Ron DeSantis. Not to cast aspersions at our own governor. No. Not to cast aspersions at Christy Nome, Brian Kemp, Greg Abbott. You fill in your Republican governor here. Maybe Sarah Huckabee Sanders in Arkansas soon. Congratulations. By the way. By the way, first female governor in Arkansas history. But... Ron DeSantis is the most popular, and by all intents and purposes, it's fully anticipated that he'll announce a run for president by May or right. June. He's got to govern for a little bit. He's actually got to do the gubernatorial job. But but we're but but we're expecting Donald Trump to come out with an announcement because he has said so. November fifteenth. What did he call this? It's going to be the greatest one speech in U.S. history. It's going to be November fifteenth. Yes. It's pre-announced. Pre-announced. It's that it's going to be the greatest speech. Yes, he said it's going to be the greatest speech. That surpasses things like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Lincoln's, no, no, Lincoln, no to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. No to JFK's inaugural speech in no to, 1960. No to Reagan, tear down the wall. No, no, FDR, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Nope, uh, nope, none uh, of that. Or Joe, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's, any of his speeches. Well, that's... Or John Fetterwoman. <laughs> the point is, you could be a ham sandwich in Democrats. I'm you. not going through the ham so, sandwich today, but so, yes. Donald yes. Trump then, if we can wrangle it back in here, tweets, or truths, sorry, truths this. I'm not on Truth Social. Now that the election in Florida is over and everything went quite well, shouldn't it, sorry, let me get back. Shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron D got this year? 5.7 million to 4.6 million? Just asking. What are you, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's the most popular governor in the country but and he, arguably going to become the leader of the conservative party. You're scared to death that he's going to beat you in a primary because he probably will. And also, on election day, I, I, he better not run against me. I've got more dirt on him than, than anyone knows except maybe his wife who's running his campaign. 
doing? What are we doing? I, I mean, you, no, no, okay. no. There's a president at the top of their of, of, of their party that is that is that is aligning with the wild left lean of his party and is ruining the country, ruining it day by day, piece by piece. Right. We live in a in a in a in a representative democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Right. Where we get to elect our leaders. Why not? Why not just get primaried and let the voters decide? Why not why not just let that happen? Why not just let that happen? Why make everything about you? Why? Maybe just maybe instead of spending time bolstering a campaign that you haven't even announced yet. And by doing that Run to sanctimonious and doing all this other junk, which really got some hard pushback from conservatives. Exit, exit polls showed yeah. that Trump, Trump turned off voters heading to the polls this year. Like within, remember, he just pops up with about a week to go. It turned off voters. There were other reasons why Republicans lost, sure. But as someone who's a former president who claims to be the leader of the party, who will be running again for office in twenty twenty four. Part of the blame does lie with you, yeah, doesn't it? And and I'm not sitting here telling you that Ron DeSantis is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Probably pretty close. the The point I'm making is, if we if you keep doing the same things over and over and over again, you're going to continue to lose. Again, I point you back to 2020, lost the presidential election to a guy who didn't leave his basement. And again, you can have we can have qualms over how the election went and what happened and all this other stuff. I understand that. There is deep-seated anger and frustration and doubt. I understand. I get it. But Joe Biden's the president now. And Donald Trump ran against him and lost. And then, stewing in his own loss, went down to Georgia and told voters that your vote probably won't count. And because of that, Republicans lost two Senate seats in Georgia and the majority in the Senate. And now they can't get it back, it seems like. No. Hard time getting it back. Why? Why? Because, quite frankly, there are probably stronger candidates to run for Senate than Herschel Walker. Or Blake Masters. I'm just saying. Y'all, I, I hate to hurt feelings today. But the Ameri America under Democrat control since 2020, where they literally control every branch of government, except for the judicial branch... Right? right, but they control the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Life has gotten worse. Things cost more. It's definitely you. Definitely feel it. You feel it when you go to the grocery store. You feel it when you go to the gas pump. Even though gas has been down just a little bit, it you, ticked up yesterday. It ticked up yesterday. I mean, shocking. Really? It ticked up at my house. Gas went up on Wednesday, twenty cents. Twenty cents at twenty cents on my way home. Twenty four. Twenty four hours after the election, it went up twenty cents. Amazing. It's, the yeah. It's not politically driven, of course no, not. No, not the at point, all. The point I'm making is is that the conservatives, listen to me. If you want to keep conserving things, you should probably vote for actual conservatives who will advance the conservative cause, who will have conservative fiscal policies, who will have conservative, conservative economic priorities, who will have conservative ideals when it comes to foreign diplomacy, who will have conservative ideals when it comes to social and cultural issues. Got top ticket here ain't doing jack on that. 
I'm, I'm sorry. Help me. The point, all of this, all of this to say that it was an extremely disappointing night on Tuesday night for Republicans, even though you're probably going to win back the House. And, you know, if you don't win back the Senate, you have ultimate gridlock anyway. And then in 24, Democrats can't blame Republicans for all the gridlock. It's both of them. I get it. That's a long play. That's a long two-year play. And sure, you might be able to get majority in the Senate in 2024 off of that election. And then, boom, all of a sudden you might have a supermajority House, Senate, and presidency if you win the presidency. I, I, I just think that in the aftermath of elections, we have to have a post-mortem and figure out what went wrong and how to correct it. And, I, and, I, and, 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 and personally, I believe the way to correct that is to have somebody at the top of your party that actually believes in the conservative ideals and wants to push the conservative agenda and not their own. That's just my opinion. It's the place where you, you really have to start looking at all of these things combined. Ask yourself the question, you know, what is it that's going to be best? Because... We, we cannot be voting on a cult of personality. It really has to be based upon the ideals that we have. When we talk about it here at the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, we talk about here the issues, why they matter, what the Bible says about them, and what you can do about it. It is not about the personalities that you have on the podcast. It's not about the personalities that are over at the state house. It's not about the personalities of, of your local elected officials or the, even the folks that are in your circle of influence. It really has to do with where do you stand and why do you stand on those things? It is not about a singular person who is driving everything. It is at the core of, it really is at the core of one person for whom is driving the core of all this. And he's not an elected official. He's, he's the savior of your soul. And that is, so for some people, that's, they, they go, oh, that's a step too far. You're getting a little religious on me here. Now, the reality is, what are you living for? Are you living for the next political win? Are you living for what Jesus has really called you to do? Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. But the thing that we have to look at here is, are we putting our faith in something or someone who is trying to make something about themselves and not about what can be done to stand for principle? to stand on the faith that we have, the beliefs that we have. That's important because at that core, that core is where you operate from. That core is what you learn and you teach and you pass on to the next generation. That core is what keeps people from being able to flap in the wind with whatever you know really highfalutin name comes up next for you to be able to go, oh, I'll follow that person. Oh, I'll follow that person. It's not about the person who runs for office. It's about the person who saved your soul. And that is an important thing to keep in mind because as we've talked about before, policies are important. Policies are driven by the things that we believe in. And if you don't have a core belief in those things, the policies will never stick because you're going to be based upon personality alone. And we really have to be focused back on what's important. So as we wrap up the podcast today, I think it's really important for us to think about and, and, Take a time. We needed to have this conversation for the the debrief now. Mm-hmm. Take it. Digest it. Honestly, it's going to be hard in Georgia because Georgia is going to be a few more weeks of where, what's going to happen yep. between uh, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker and that race. If you have friends in Georgia, tell them to show up this time. Tell them to show up. It is time. I'm pulling up the numbers right here. The Senate will hang in the balance. Right. 
because you'll I, either have a plus one or a split. All right, because you are looking at nearly four hundred thousand people, three hundred thousand people, who voted in the first round of the elections in twenty twenty in Georgia, who did not vote in the runoff in the Senate elections. Three hundred thousand people. That would have been the difference between what we have in the U.S. Senate today. David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, Loeffler would have been senators and not John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Right. But you can't go with 300,000 people didn't show up. Well, part of the reason they didn't show up was because they were told their vote didn't matter. Your vote mattered enough to send it to a runoff. Right. <laughs> so show up. If it counted the first time, why wouldn't it count the second? It's important for us <laughs> to keep a few things in mind. Yep. And, and, for Georgians, we feel sorry for you guys across the river because you're your you're still on you're still on. It's your responsibility. Have a have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, what I will say too is as we close up shop, Dave, is that you know you're you're right. Your hope you know don't get all preachy, but your hope isn't in isn't in government, right? That, that's not where it goes. And ultimately, God is the one who appoints author- those in authority. Right. Ultimately, His will is done. Now maybe His will is for you to go out and vote. <laughs> And get somebody elected. Yeah, I, you know who? Who's to say? I'm not going to go all Calvinist or Arminianist on you, but we don't know. I'll also say this again: um, it's important to analyze what happened, but then of course it's important to get out, take a deep breath, touch some grass, and move on and figure out how to do best do things. I'll let you know that in the coming weeks, if you remember at the start of the podcast, which was a year ago, in October. August, September, and October of 2021, we were talking about the issues that were going to be coming up in the next legislative session. Uh, those included deep dives in the CRT, deep dives in the medical marijuana, deep dives into the foster and adoptive uh, crisis in South Carolina. Um, and in doing that, I believe a lot of us were able to have a better grasp on the issues once they got to the floor of either the House or the Senate in the spring. We're going to start doing that now. Now that election day is in the rearview mirror, right? And now that H fifty three ninety nine, unfortunately, is in the rearview mirror, we'll continue to monitor what's happening in the state supreme court. But we're going to begin talking about the different issues that are going to come up in the next legislative session. We want you to be aware of what un, better understanding of what human trafficking is, uh, a better understanding of the opioid epidemic inside of our inside of our schools, inside of our state, inside of our communities and our churches. So we're going to start really going into each of these issues in depth. If you have something that you want us to talk about, an issue that you think, whether we haven't addressed it enough or you want more information on, maybe it's revisiting the CRT social emotional learning issue, which will come up again in this next legislative session. We can do that and we'd love to hear from you. Email me, justin at palmettofamily.org and let me know. Just uh, in the subject line, put uh, podcast topic and, and let me know what you want us to talk about and we will gladly do that. We want to hear from you. We also want to hear from you on our social media pages. Make sure you like comment, subscribe, share this video on Facebook, subscribe on the audio versions. That helps us keep this thing going to where we don't have to worry about having to having to shut it down for lack of support. And we know that you're supporting it because we are the fastest growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina. And we thank you for that. Also, make sure you go to palmettofamily.org, sign up for our email newsletter, go to the app, Palmetto Family Council app. You can download the app to stay connected, get push notifications on everything that's going on across the state. And of course, in either of those avenues, you can also click to uh, support the work that we do here because it's important. Uh, we believe it's important for you to invest in what we're doing because you're going to get a return on that investment. And so we want you to be a part of what we're doing here and make sure that you're well connected. Because one of the things that is important for you to understand about Palmetto Family is that we are a 501c3. 
your your gift, your investment in Palmetto Family uh, does have with a tax deductible donation. So if you make your investment, you plan right now as you begin to plan for your year end giving. Uh, we ask that you support the work that we do. We ask for your investment because we believe that as you have been here on Palmetto Family Matters podcast, if you're a first time listener or you're a long time listener, you recognize the value of working on bringing return on investment here. That's a real important thing for us as we consider the things that are going on and how to help you become more active and more involved in what's going on so that you can be a guardrail of our culture here in South Carolina. So please, if you would, you hear us talk about the app. You hear us talk about these things all the time. Take Just take a moment. Give it the five-star rating. Subscribe. Let us hear from you because we really want to know what are the issues that you want us to be talking about because it's important for us that you have the information that you need. And so with that, we thank you for joining us a packed week analyzing the election coming up what happened in the South Carolina Senate and in the General Assembly with House 5399, and then, of course, a postmortem on the election, the red wave that wasn't <laughs> on Tuesday night. But it did happen in South Carolina. Every Republican controls uh, the constitutional offices in this state. Conservatism continues to reign supreme in South Carolina, and I believe that's just the way we like it because guess what? We do that here in South Carolina. Uh, and now that the election's over, I think I can still do that impression. At least happy, happy, happy. At least happy, happy, happy. Or I can quote uh, Tim McGraw. Yeah. Or, I don't know. It was Tim McGraw. Other. It was definitely Tim McGraw, but it was somebody else he quoted. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt. He quoted Bonnie Raitt, uh, on, which is interesting because the night before you saw the video of him playing the guitar, uh, a Keith Urban song, actually, on the, on the tour bus. My governor can do that, can yours? That is all for the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us for a... Um, What's the word? Intellectual. Intellectual and political. Patriotic. patriotic. Intellectual and patriotic. It's been a long (laughs) week, folks. I need to go take a nap. It's nap time. For Kevin Cayello, Mitch Prosser, who should be back from Atlanta at some point soon. Don't get caught in a runoff. Please. Dave Wilson and Justin Hall. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week.